You are listening to Working File, a podcast about design practice and its relationship with the world. My name is Andy Mangold, and this week's show is a little bit different. It's the end of summer, people are traveling, they're on vacation, scheduling is impossible. So instead of our typical three to four person panel show, it's instead a one-on-one conversation with myself and Linda. We actually recorded this back in March, so some of the references might be a little bit dated, but I hope you enjoy it nonetheless. We'll be back in two weeks with a typical episode for you. Thank you for your understanding. And I were uh, <laughs> talking about millennials uh, for some reason, and somebody had just passed me this Simon Sinek video. Is that how you say his name? Simon Sinek? 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 I don't know. Sinek. He won't hear this, so whatever. Yeah, exactly. He's too busy. Um, and uh, it was just this great little interview about um, the problem with working with millennials today. Um, and there's like all of this conversation happening right now around working with uh, these 20 somethings. And like, I don't know, I just, I, it, a lot of it resonated with me because I felt like I've uh, experienced or seen a lot of those problems um, in the workplace. Is it more that the way that this, uh, this person, I don't, I don't know what Simon's deal is. Is he an author or a, a, a thought leader? What is he, a hashtag thought leader? Um, yeah, I think he's a hashtag he seems like a professional walking ted talk is what he seems like yeah um, exactly <laughs> so this this ted talk with legs uh his perspective was that millennials are a generation that were uh raised being told they were the greatest and they could accomplish anything yes. and they were all given participation trophies and therefore they want everything immediately and they don't want to have to work for it and now they've right. hit the workplace they are uh shocked and there's a huge cultural divide because they are not getting rewarded the way they want to get rewarded, and they right. feel and a sense of ennui about their work. Is this something that you feel more, Linda, or is this something you feel like you've seen in other people, um, or both? I've well, well, both. It sucks because I, uh, I definitely feel. I think the main point of what he's talking about isn't just the like fact that everybody wants cool bean bags and like water slides in their office, which like is super freaking annoying. Um, but they also just want this like sense of purpose. You know, there's like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs that I think people are reaching the top of that pyramid a lot sooner in life because like all of their basic needs are being met, uh, in like first world America <laughs> at a really young age. And so then you have like 22 year olds looking for their life's purpose in their first job. You know, and they like want to make mm -hmm. a huge impact on the world and they want to uh, like start movements and like change everything. But like they want to do it like in the first six months because instant gratification is such a thing now. Um, and nobody has the patience to just uh, work hard and put in the effort for years and years and years. And um, I mean, like, so that's something that I that I feel in myself a little bit, too, like to just look around every couple of months and be like, what have we actually done here? Have we even moved the needle at all? You know? <laughs> sure. And, uh, yeah. So I guess I just wanted to pick your brain about that a little bit. Cause I am really curious about how you structure, uh, your office and like how you give people like their sense of purpose. Or do you just tell them like, no, you shut, the shut up kids. You don't get to have purpose here. You're <laughs> <laughs> that sounds exactly like me. That was a, that was a perfect impression. Um, so it's, it's kind of a cop-out, um, but I, I don't do a ton at the office, at the studio, to like set purpose or to like try and inspire purpose. We, you know, we're a consulting company, which is on its worst days, extremely unglamorous, right? Somebody else comes in the door with a purpose and you're supposed to assume their purpose and, you know, hop aboard the, the train and do your best to kind of see their vision out as, as best you can, given your skills and perspective. Um, so, you know, we don't work for morally bankrupt companies, right? Like, you know, right. we were contacted once by a, a very high-end shooting range that, you know, <laughs> wants to let people come in and rent AR-15s and M-16s to shoot at 
these these targets, and it's a very popular shooting range. And that was a project we just said no, like we we don't want to work on that because we feel like it's actually doing bad in the world to like. <laughs> celebrate gun culture and like make it a like fun casual thing you do instead of you know treating them like the serious things that they are so we don't do that kind of stuff right but a lot of our projects are do not fall in the inspiring world-changing like impactful sphere a lot of them are just you know somebody has idea for a startup they got some funding and they're going to build it or somebody has some access to some products and they want to build an online store to sell those products the people that have excess income to buy these products that don't actually really you know, do anything practically in the world. Um, so a lot of it is that. And so it, it's hard to, I think, approach that kind of work with the inspiring vision setting that that Simon describes all millennials seeking. Um, yeah. What I will say for myself is that I don't think about our impact strictly in terms of the design and development work that we do, even though that's what the company does, you know, on the face of it. Um, I think about like our impact as also being like a nice place to work where people can have a good, you know, living and make have good health insurance cover them and you know have a workplace that will allow them to take time off with their kids and you know yeah. just be a healthy workplace that makes people happy and it, I feel like in in some small way if I can, you know, look at our few employees and say, well, here's some people that otherwise might not have a job this good. Uh that's all the good that I need to do in the world to like feel okay about my contribution, right? And if we right. do that by building some website to sell widgets to people, then, you know, what's what's the damage? Uh, right. It's kind of my feeling of the whole thing. So, and one thing that the video talks about is, uh, like, that it's just difficult to keep these people employed um, because of the, the short attention span. And I feel like right now the economy is doing pretty well for designers and that there's, like, everywhere I look, I feel like I see somebody who needs a designer and can afford to pay one to do things. Um have you found it so everybody that's looking for a job email linda she is (laughs) overflowing with great contacts at places that are hiring no i didn't mean it like that i'm totally get at her on twitter right i'm totally comparing this to the recession by the way so when i graduated from school it was 2008 and oh my god i went on something like uh 23 job interviews or something uh and they were for jobs i didn't even want like graphic design for a healthcare company like doing like well, pam- hold on like that one pamphlets. sounds good <laughs> but no like they they needed like they needed like their pamphlets to uh just you know not the most exciting work and i was like i'll do anything well, to get this job and but i still didn't get those jobs because uh of how bad the economy was at the time um and, and right now it just seems like it's it's not nearly as bad as it was 12 years ago. I, I hope it's not as bad as it was in, in 2008, certainly. And I, I didn't graduate in 2011. And frankly, I never actually tried to get a real job. So I can't speak on this at all. Yeah. Um, but I will say that, you know, I don't think anecdotally from talking to, you know, my peers and, and, you know, people in the world, I don't think right now it's like there is such an abundance of great jobs that, you know, there's too many to go around. Um, I, I feel like there are still plenty of people out there that are really looking for something that is going to suit their skills and, and suit them. Maybe that's yeah. to your and Simon's point, though, that all these people feel like none of these jobs that maybe are out there or jobs they may have had are giving them the kind of fulfillment that they're seeking. Yeah. Um, I, I, will, I will say the one thing I did respond to about Simon's talk, and, and spoiler alert, I, I kind of have a lot of complaints about, about Simon's perspective on things. Oh, um, but I want to hear those, too. Oh, we'll get there. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> so the the thing that I, I did respond to is I do, this is especially true in design and especially true in design in the realm of technology. Uh, people do not keep jobs for a, a long period of time. It just does not happen. Exactly. Um, you know, we, we've hired a lot of people and something we had to be very clear about in the interview process every time was, by the way, we're not looking to hire somebody for eight months so they can then jump onto another job. Like there is some amount of, you know, getting to know the company, some amount of like getting in like the getting in the flow of things. And we're also looking for people that are, you know, want to be a dedicated member of the team for long term. And a lot of people like just kind of walked out of the door when we said that they're like, oh, I don't want a job for that long. It's, it's like not even on the table for me um, because it's so common to jump from job to job every year or, you know, two years for people that are our age. Yeah. Um, and 
something I want to be careful of uh, is I, I, I think that one of the flaws of Simon's argument is that he has a very rosy view of the past, right? Like he seems to imply that because we're jumping from job to job, that is inherently worse than our parents' generation or our grandparents' generation that worked for the same company for their entire life until they retired, uh, you right. know, 40 years or whatever. Um, I don't want to assume that that's better. Uh, and I'm curious to know if you think that, you know, the kind of rapid movement, because I mean, full transparency, I graduated six years ago and started a company and have been doing that ever since. Uh, you have worked for tons of companies, uh, really, <laughs> yeah. really great companies. I think a lot of companies people would aspire to work to and would call their work inspiring and call their work um, impactful in at least certain certain ways. Yeah. Um, do you feel like working at all those different places was, you know, a mistake? Is it something that you think indicates something? How do you feel about it? Well, I think that like there needs to be a happy medium. Um, I think that, oh my God, thinking about working for the same company for 35 years, just like, it sounds horrible to me. Um, <laughs> it's impossible to imagine, right? Like, yeah, like or, that's like, as old as we are. So that'd be like our entire lifetime again, repeated working at the same job. Like to me, I can't, I can't even come close to planning that far in the future. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I mean, I mean, there are, you know, like there's the design agency CGH in New York, and like the two original founders are still working there, and they're like in their mid 80s. And I mean, I think that is like freaking awesome. Um, I, I would love to be that committed to my own work someday where like maybe if I do like start my own studio or something like that, you know, I could see myself staying that committed to it where it's kind of your own thing. But this idea of like working for a corporate conglomerate type thing for decades and decades is just mind boggling to me. Um, and then at the well, same- I'm glad you said that because I, I do want to point out that I think there is a big difference in that in the kinds of jobs that you and I would have, right? The kinds of people that would hire us for our skill set and many other designers out there for their skill sets mm -hmm. are not companies that have been around for, you know, 50 years and will be around for another 50, right? right. It's a little unfair to, to talk about how millennials are jumping from job to job seeking fulfillment when <laughs> every six months some new company shuts down and gets bought by Facebook and, you know, goes and, and joins the, you know, the Borg. Exactly. Um, like No judgment on Facebook there. I didn't mean that. I just mean that, uh, there's so many new opportunities popping up and then opportunities falling away. Like, it's not that we're the, the ones jumping around because we're fanciful and, you know, flighty. It's just that uh, the opportunities are changing just as quickly. So right. how we're, are we like, supposed we to are, adapt? We are the byproduct of our own culture right now. That's just like how things are. Companies like are born and die in just years or months or sure. like I always make fun of like those startup pages. Like once they do get bought, there's so many of them that are just like, it's been a fearless journey and we're so glad Well, you've glad seen the Tumblr, right? Of, yeah, exactly. You've yeah. seen the, our, our beautiful t journey Tumblr or whatever it yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just all of the shutdown <laughs> we should, letters. We need to put a link to that in the show notes too. Oh, I'll get it. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so like yeah. the options are either, I guess, I, I'm sure that General Motors has graphic designers. I'm sure that that would be a place where you or I could get a job and work for the rest of our lives if we wanted to. Actually, probably not. General Motors is not going to be around for our entire lives. No. Uh, they're not long for this world. But, you know, we could get a job like that. But the point is that that's not what we are compelled to do. That's not what we want to do. And, the, and it's just kind of circumstance that the things that we're interested in doing happen to be companies that are, you know, more, uh, less reliable. They're popping up, they're going out of business, they're being bought, they're getting funding and starting up again. It's just, you know, exactly. a lot of churn. But I will say that I have found a lot of joy in putting in that time with companies. I know it seems like maybe I haven't worked in places very long because I have worked at so many companies, but like at MailChimp, in the, I was there for like almost three years. And, uh, I feel like uh, it's like the first six months to a year was just kind of like getting comfortable there and just like getting to know everyone, getting to know the brand. And, um, yeah. and we talk about this here at Wendo a lot where we're like the first couple weeks that you're on a project with an, like a brand new design team, you can basically just like throw that time away. <laughs> like speaking like purely candidly, like I do not, uh, tend to do my very best work on the, f like in the first two weeks of having that job, because like oh, who does signing yeah. a contract for a job is like such a big commitment. And I think it takes so much time to get really comfortable with everybody and all of these new things 
that like it, it takes a couple of months to get like a really good working flow going and like figuring out even who in the company you do your best work with. Um, and then once you figure those things out and you have to figure it out by failing, by the way, uh, which is a thing that a lot of people are not comfortable with. Um, but then you get to this point where you can just kind of like iterate on that process and make it better and better. And that's where like the real magic starts to happen for me. And so I feel like, yeah, if I had quit within that first year at MailChimp when things were like uncomfortable and you're trying to work with a few people and things aren't quite gelling right, like if I had just taken those like negative feelings that I had from that and, and accepted defeat, uh, I wouldn't be anywhere close to where I am today. And I'm so glad that I kind of hung in there because it, it took some time, but it definitely paid off. Um, and I think that that's what's happening is like, there are these like feelings of awkwardness that sprout up in, in those first, you know, one to 11 months. <laughs> and, sure. uh, and people don't like those. They're like not protected from those like they were when they were kids. And they're like not getting trophies for doing a project that was only so, so. And they're like, well, I'm going to go somewhere else and I'm going to, find that feeling um or at least that's what it seems like to me and i think that you just kind of have to like hang in there and and keep pushing and working hard and uh eventually hopefully you find the ways that you can contribute to that company or else you move on i don't know yeah i feel like it's really cliche to say like "Ooh, there's no such thing as fair but that is kind of what it comes down to um maybe a, a like less cliche way to put it is just that if you are focused on fair, you will only ever be concerned about how unfair everything is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. It's not that fairness doesn't exist. It's just that if that's if that's your paradigm, right, that's your golden ideal, then you're, of course, only going to focus on the times when you were slighted and things didn't work out the way that <laughs> you, felt they, you felt you were entitled they should. Yeah. Um, which I don't think, like, this is one of the things, to get back to the, the talk that kind of started this whole conversation, this is one of the things that uh, Simon kind of drove home is that, we are an entitled generation, right? Like we, yep. we think we deserve everything and we deserve it now. I don't think that's unique to us at all, right? Like yeah. I feel like we were taught this fairness thing by our parents who, you know, were raised us largely. Uh, I feel like this whole fairness thing is not a new idea. I, I think that we're no more preoccupied with it than any other group of people was. So it, it seems unfair to me to be like, that's a millennial enlightened, you know, an entitlement thing. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that we all do it. I mean, like, uh, we've all, we've all done it. And I, this particular thing, and I, I just witnessed it the other day where an older woman, uh, and I were both headed towards a long bathroom line, but from completely different <laughs> areas in space. And I kind of, I saw her kind of like shuffle her feet a little bit, like extra fast to like get ahead of me in, in line. And I just slowed down, you know, like I had to give her to give it to her like no you win yeah, okay. maybe she had to go you, man <laughs> she probably had to go a lot worse than me but i mean that's the kind of i mean the, the bathroom line is just one example but i mean it happens all the time like in driving and mm -hmm. waiting in the checkout lane at the grocery store like you just suddenly like see these like nasty little parts of people's personalities where they can't wait to be ahead of you because they feel like they deserve it for some reason. And that is not yeah. just people our age. That is like every single person, no matter <laughs> who they are. This is something I have to constantly rem remind myself too, because I'm, I'm a big overthinker. And so my natural tendency is to ruminate on all the hard work I've done in X situation and how that has <laughs> not been reciprocated fairly. Um, and what really taught me it was, was frankly doing consulting work, right? Like we've been consulting for six years now, as I've said a couple times. Uh, and the, you know, I think it's generally accepted in a model like that where someone's paying you a lot of money to do something for them, that the like customer is always right thing applies, right? Like we're being hired, we're being paid by them. So if they are going to, you know, not respond to our emails for three weeks and, you know, they're going to be short with us for whatever reason. Uh, we just have to kind of like smile and take it, yeah. um, which I don't entirely agree with. But what I will say is that that has over time really taught me this lesson of like give up on fairness because I've learned that if you just sit there and go, well, we keep responding, you know, immediately and they take forever to respond or, you know, we spend all this time answering their questions and then we ask them a few questions and they don't even answer them clearly and you get mad about those things. You're not being productive at all. Like you're accomplishing yeah. nothing. 
Exactly. Um, and so many times when I've, uh, you know, just taken the time to like push back all those thoughts and defensive thoughts of being, you know, being right and being fair and wanting to justify my position. And I push all that back and just say, all right, let's just ignore that and get down to solving the problem at hand. Um, the outcome is always so much better. Um, so the other thing I mentioned in, in my little my little talk was that uh, I think people oftentimes lack empathy in teamwork scenarios and certain relationships, right? Like mm-hmm. people for the most part will at least try to empathize with people like their family or their loved ones, but people very often or very rarely try to do that with coworkers, with clients, with bosses, with employees, with whoever. Um, and the, uh, the example I gave, which is my little like kind of dark little sick twisted trick to like keep me honest when I'm dealing with people is that I always imagine the person I'm dealing with has just had the worst day of their entire life, right? Like when you mm-hmm. get an email from somebody, you're like, this is not right. This is wrong. They're being unfair. They're not giving what I asked them to give me, blah, blah, blah. When you have a meeting with somebody and they're just, you know, not being helpful and ruining things when somebody is, you know, showing up late for work or whatever, just always imagine what if that person just found out that their parents have cancer or just found out that their dog is going to have to be put down or whatever. Like just imagine it's the worst day of their life. And if how you treat them is not okay in that scenario, it's never okay to treat somebody that way. It's like you you shouldn't do it. Like always treat people with the respect you would give them, assuming that they're they're going through something difficult. Uh, And sure, most of the time people aren't, right? Statistically, it's not very often the worst day of your life. But if you treat people that way, uh, it's a great shortcut to just like, you know, maybe you don't actually have the empathy. You can't imagine what it might be like to be in their shoes, but just treat them as if you accept that that's difficult, whatever it is they're doing. Uh, and if you do that, you're going to just be much better at your job, right? You're a much better collaborator if you treat people with that kind of respect. Exactly. And uh, like, I, I think I've I've always been the like contractor on the side of the contractor client relationship. Um, but lately it's kind of like, been the other way around where I'm like the art director and I'm hiring somebody to do something for me. And, um, so now I'm like the slow one who's like taking way too long to get back to people's emails. (laughs) And like, (laughs) so now I kind of have this like, uh, empathy for both sides of the equation. And, uh, it actually taught me a lot about myself because when I was the, the freelancer or the contractor, Um, you know, I'm like waiting to get paid and I'm waiting to see if I have work and it would drive me so crazy if it took someone a long time to pay me or if it took them a long time to get back to me with feedback and it kind of messes my own schedule up. And, you know, there's all these things that you're like, oh, like you feel so entitled to this, uh, to have things exactly the way that you want them. Or you're like, I've been so prompt. Why aren't they being so prompt? Um, but now, uh, that I've been in the other side of the equation, I see like, where things can go wrong and like there's just so many different uh factors at play that you can never predict uh why somebody is doing what seems like a shitty thing to you um so like why sit there and predict and whenever i have like been like i've had a few people working for me where i've taken way too long to get back to them on things um because we're either like getting a contract together and like we're having a hang up with our lawyer or like whatever um And then when those people just treat me as if that like long lapse in silence, like didn't even happen. And they're just like, Hey, no problem. How's it going? Uh, I'm like, so relieved. And I like, can't wait to work with them again. And I'm like, but I'm, I'm going to be better next time. You know, it makes me want to, to be my best self. And then, but if, uh, when somebody responds with that, like short, like quick little kind of shitty response, it just makes me like, uh, like I know I kind of deserved that, but at the same time, like now it's awkward and now it's not the best working relationship. And yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of like trying yeah. to teach myself to have the same patience and understanding for people, um, no matter which side of that equation I'm in. I'm, I'm going to move on. If, if you're all right, I'm going to move on to some of my complaints about Simon's whole shtick. Okay. Uh, and one of them is tied to the fact that he is really against the like intense use of 
electronics devices and social media by young people, right? Like he makes the point that, oh, we're all just sitting in our meetings on our phones and not engaging with each other. And right. when we, do, we go to dinner, we put yeah. our phones on the table and we're not engaging with each other. Burp, 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 burp. Okay. Uh, and I, ha- oh, I think we're about to go fist ahead. fight. What are you going to say? You, you go first. You go Nothing. first before okay. I do my little rant. Well, I don't know. I think that you and I might be kind of on the same page with some of this stuff. So I have, I, I, it totally resonates with me. I've, I'm trying so hard to be less glued to my phone. Like I have some friends in San Francisco who are just like, I feel like they just could not breathe without their cell phones. Like, and I also feel like they see the world through their iPhones and their Instagrams and their stories. And like, it's just constant, like every five minutes, just picking this thing up and like trying to capture like the perfect uh, representation of the moment that is actually being lived in real life right in front of their eyes. Like, and it, it, it's starting to drive me crazy. And I think that I've spent a lot of uh, my life, you know, being that person. And that's why it's so maddening to me. Um, so I'm not saying that I'm like perfect by any means. But yeah, I think that people just like don't even know how to make eye contact with other people because of it. And like, we're all uh just suffering in our real relationships because of the relationships that we have with our phone. Uh, like I've been in bed with, uh, like my partner before. And like, if they pick their phone up, I'm like, uh, 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 no, 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 no. I'm like, (laughs) you hug me before you hug your little iPhone, please. (laughs) Little phone hugs. Like I'm yeah, little tiny hug with your hands around your phone. No, no. Hug me first. Uh, because I'm the living and breathing human being who's in bed with you. Like, that's such a big and serious thing. And, like, even uh, on New Year's this year, I made, like, a point to leave my phone, like, in the other room where I couldn't get to it. Uh, and Because we were all outside in the mountains and it was snowing and it was so much fun. And uh, we were, like, throwing axes at trees and stuff. Not the safest thing. But, um but yeah, everybody, I, I looked around and everybody's like experiencing the moment of the new year when we counted down to one, like with their phone right up to their faces. And I'm like, I, I don't know about you, but I actually would be interested to, to hear your opinion on this. But I don't remember any of the times that I spend inside my phone. You know, like when I look at that thing, I get like so lost in it. And I like you can't get my attention at all. Uh, I mean, maybe a little bit, but like I but I the problem is that I don't actually have any memories of what I'm doing in there, you know. So here's what I agree with. I agree that it is a little bit scary the rate at which social media specifically, but, you know, just having a device on you all the time and having access to the Internet all the time. I'm a little shocked, and uh, I think it's a little bit alarming just how fast that has changed the social dynamics uh, in the world in our generation, right? Like, that is certainly an alarming thing, just in the sense that we are definitely in, like, new, unexplored territory, right? Like, we we don't really know what it's like to grow up entirely, you know, living your life through a device. We don't really know if it's good or bad or how it affects things like memories you've created versus not created, uh, and in that sense, like I do, kind of feel like we're all guinea pigs. Uh, through no, through feel like no one. It was like not like you know, Apple was like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna play this big experiment on people. Or it wasn't. There was no intent behind it. No, no maliciousness. But I do feel like we are in, in a space where we're trying to f- figure out what that means. Um, but I think Simon's deal that this is not a real thing. It's like this fake world and you're not building real relationships and the time you spend on your phone is just like pointless distraction and it's meaningless. That I do not agree with at all in any way. Um, I think social media is amazing. I think it's incredible. I don't think it's any surprise that people want to be on their phones for a large part of the day because how amazing is it to be able to be connected across the entire globe with people that share your values, share your priorities in ways that maybe the people that happen to be in the same geographic space as you just don't share, right? Um, and this is this applies to everything from like Twitter to like people that love you know their little subreddits or people that have Slack teams of certain groups of people over right. a certain subject. Um, I have very meaningful relationships with people that, Linda, how many times have we actually been in the same space, been in the oh, same geographic space? Yeah, like maybe four. Yeah, I think three or four, uh, very <laughs> few times. 
Um, and yet we have a very specific relationship and I, I, I will talk with you about things that there's people in, in, in Baltimore that I see every week. I would not talk to them about this because they just don't see the world the same way. Those conversations are not going to be beneficial to either of us. Uh, therefore, we don't talk about those things. We just do stuff, right? We just go tubing because that's the thing you can do with someone in the same geographic space. But when we're tubing, we're not necessarily talking about whatever deep life stuff because that's not the, the sort of grounds of our relationship. And, you know, I have other friends like you, Linda, that I, I've never met, that I, I just, you know, know from across the country or across the world that maybe I met them once or twice and we really clicked and now we just have this, you know, online relationship. And I feel like older people are always looking down on that as if it's lesser than. Uh, right. And that's something that I wholly reject. Uh, You're right. The, so th there's a balance, right? Because, um, I certainly think that something like Candy Crush, uh, you know, to, to give the most extreme example, <laughs> is basically like gambling, right? It's just programmed to be addictive and to bounce little lights in your face. And you're not really developing skill and you're not really having interesting thoughts. Like you are kind of just a little zombie. Um, right. Which is not at all to be critical of anybody who loves Candy Crush. Don't at me. Uh, <laughs> it's just to say that there is a, there's a, there's a sort of, there's a spectrum of these things. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I have lots of nieces and nephews um, from the age of uh, 14 now, I guess. Oh, God, they're getting so old. Uh, down to two. Uh, I have nieces and nephews all in that age range. And it's really interesting to watch how they are adopting technology um, because all the same social dynamics that, like, you know, we grew up with in elementary school, middle school, high school when we didn't have these devices are still present. Uh, some of them are magnified, right? Like the fear of missing out is certainly magnified. Everyone oh, that yeah. is oh 12 God. years old and goes to a sleepover, everyone at that sleepover is taking Snapchats and Instagrams at that sleepover. And if you're the one person not invited, it is, you oh, know, crushing. it's crushing. Yeah. It's crushing because before you would just maybe know and imagine something fun was happening. And now you're getting all this media as if you were there, uh, which is, which is of course really difficult. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, like that difficult thing is definitely magnified by this like in intense connectedness that we get from, from social media. Um, but it, it goes the other way too, right? Like, uh, I, my, my little nephew plays basketball and like his team won the state, whatever championship or the county championship this past year. And, you know, I follow him on Instagram and it's hilarious following young kids on Instagram because they post all the emojis and hashtags, but seeing him and all his teammates all be on Instagram celebrating this like journey through their like little kitty playoffs or whatever, uh, was amazing, right? Like it's the kind of thing that I remember how fun that was as a kid to be in your like little soccer playoffs or whatever, and to have like artifacts from that and be able to like right. celebrate those moments and capture them. Like, is a real thing. Like, I, I don't think that people are on Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat wasting their lives because it's a dopamine hit, as Simon seems to think. I think they're <laughs> on there because it gives them real meaningful value. It really, uh, and yeah, so, it does. Um, and it also kind of gives you this, like, sense of self in a way. Um, have you heard about this, the single self idea? I was... Don't think so. Okay, so I was talking to a friend about this, and uh, I don't have the link. We'll find it later. But there was, like, a podcast or something that was talking about this, about how when you and I, Andy, were younger, uh, every single thing that we did would not be published instantly to give our friends FOMO or to, like, just show people exactly who we are and what we're up to. Um, so instead, we kind of grew up with this uh, tendency to, like, try things out. And to, like, try on different personas, almost. And so I think that, like, for me, it would be like, okay, I'd go to, like, church on Sundays, and I would be one person on those days where I was expected to act and behave a certain way. And then on Tuesdays, there was, like, a thing that I had to go to that, like, I knew, like, a bunch of punk kids would be there. And so I'd kind of, like, be, like, more of a, like, a punk kid, and I'd try to skateboard and stuff. And then... You know, on Fridays, sure. you hang out with your sister's friends, and they're all a little bit girly, and so then I pull out the makeup, and, you know, like, so I think that we're kind of uh, able to experiment with who we were a little bit, and, like, you try these, like, various extremes um, until you kind of grow up and you settle in on what feels like the real you. Um, but it's weird because, like, nowadays, kids are growing up, and they're having to kind of choose, like, at such a young age, like, what that identity is. Uh, and that's gotta, that's gotta be like incredibly, like a lot of pressure. I don't know to, to figure out like right away, which of these things you're going to post and like, and like how you're going to show the world who you are. Well, it's funny. Uh, I definitely see that perspective, but I also think that in some ways 
the internet does the opposite in that it allows you to be like literally different people in different spaces, right? So <laughs> on, can... on Twitter, on yeah. Twitter, I am mostly like, you know, design bro dude, right? Like I mostly tweet right. about design stuff and I've gotten more uh, engaged in politics and social issues. And so I tweet about that stuff now too. And that's kind of my personality over there. On Instagram, I just post pictures of my dog and things that I've cooked. Exactly. And not like pretty pictures, not pretty pictures of things that I've cooked, right? This is just like, I for like the past year and a half, and I think I'm stopping now. I haven't done it for the past couple of weeks. I think I'm just going to be done with it. But I used to post every single thing I cooked as kind of a way to keep myself honest, keep myself cooking, to track how regularly I was doing it. And it was ugly stuff, right? It was like, here, I steamed these dumb dumplings and like threw them on rice and it looks terrible. Oh, but I loved um, that. I love just like seeing a home-cooked meal, just even if it was ugly as sh- I loved seeing that in my feed. So thank you, Andy. Well, and, and, and frankly, if we're being honest, even the fact that the pictures were ugly as shit was kind of a statement, right? I was exactly. like, I'm not going to be the cool Instagram kids and like compose this. I'm just going to snap it off and not give a shit. I know. That's uh, what I'm doing right now, if, too. I'm just like, I'm as, if I was, as if I was too I... cool for school. So, <laughs> so and then, you know, I have accounts on, on Reddit. I have accounts uh, I have uh, on specific Slack channels and teams where I talk about different things and I'm like a totally different person, right? And that's something that you could actually compartmentalize before, where before you had the like danger of, you know, coming home from church and running into your skateboard friends, and now it's awkward. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't have that same sense of awkwardness, right? Like some people sometimes cross over the different spheres, right? Like somebody that uh, I'm in a Slack team about a card game with will notice that I'm on Twitter and be like, oh, geez, you post a lot about these kind of things over there. I'm like, yeah, that's also part of me. And, you know, get over yeah, it. Yeah, like um, I just so, today I have a, a group me with all of my improv friends, this like improv class that I'm taking. And we were like exchanging our Twitter profiles and somebody was like, damn, Linda, why do you have so many followers? And I was like, oh, it's because I'm like... Because of shapes and colors. I was like, it's because I'm mildly somewhat tiny bit popular in the tech design world it's not because i'm funny guys like don't don't come to this twitter account expecting uh sweet improv tweets <laughs> you, got, you got those good funny tweets i think but uh but yeah so i i, I hear that thing and uh th- frankly that's one of my complaints with something like facebook is i feel like facebook as a service is driving at that one true you right there is no yeah, room like for this compartmentalization singular. Yeah, uh, it's like, what's whereas, your relationship like? And what are your friends like? And what's your political views? And what's the, like, whew, too many things. Yeah, and I, I think that's a, uh, to me, that's a flaw in that I don't give almost any information to Facebook because it's this weird, like, open place. And I, I, I tried for a while, I did an experiment where, like, I just friended all of my family on Facebook, of which there's a ton of extended family. And I was like, this will be my family social network because none of them are on Twitter or anything, right? Like right. my aunts and uncles that live in the middle of nowhere. So I was like, this is the one place they are. Let me make this about family. And I found that, like, I just had nothing to say, really, right? Like, I, I didn't care to post my political views there. I didn't care to post about graphic design there. I didn't care to post about my hobbies and interests there. So it was just, like, a dead zone because it yeah. was this, like, thing that was illuminated by the attention of my family, which I didn't necessarily have as much to say to. Yeah. Um, I so, don't post to mine uh, at all for the same reasons. Yeah. So, you know, give or take that. Um so I have a few more small criticisms about Simon's thing, and then we can uh, you can wrap up with whatever you want to close on. Okay. But uh, I wanted to point out that he compares the addiction of using a device to the addiction that you get from smoking or drinking alcohol. His citation being that you know there's evidence that shows when you get a text or a little notification, you get a hit of dopamine, little dopamine, and you hit. also get dopamine when you smoke or drink alcohol. Which Therefore, is they probably must be true. the same thing. But you also get dopamine hits from eating food and having sex and living your normal life. Like, exactly. Lots of things that are just not a, not addictive. Um, and actually, like, dopamine management is a huge part of depression and anxiety, right? Like, people that suffer from depression, largely, uh, chemically, if you look at it, are just not getting enough dopamine. So if we can use technology, something that has no negative health effects or whatever, to alleviate that, it seems ridiculous not to. And in that same vein, he said, quote, we know that people who spend more time on Facebook suffer higher rates of depression than people who spend less time on Facebook, which is just a classic example of confusing causation and correlation. Yeah, right? which like, came first, the chicken or the egg? He's, yeah, he's, he seems to be implying that, oh, if you spend time on Facebook, you'll be depressed. Not that if you are depressed, you might seek the dopamine hits of social interaction online more regularly. Right. That, not that you might you know, be doing something else. So that, to me, is a, a flaw that I think is dangerous. Um, he said that, you know, you might as well open the liquor cabinet and to your kids and tell them to drink up, which is preposterous and whatever. <laughs> uh, 
Um, he's just very good at saying things to make people nod their heads. Which yeah, but I, uh, but what which... I like, I do agree with him to some extent that like it's unhealthy to be getting your dopamine from that. Like, I would much rather uh, my teenager like get their dose of dopamine from sex than from <laughs> their telephone. Like, it it's so addictive. It really is so addictive. Where like people are just completely obsessive over how many likes things get and like it's it's just invisible fake stuff that doesn't actually matter in the end of the day at all and it has nothing to do with who you are or like what you're going to contribute to the world but i think that to these kids like it really does have a strong mental and emotional effect on them to the like it means the world to them to get a hundred likes you know and like you're like that isn't a thing that isn't even a real thing that is See, tangible I don't, know, I don't know if i agree because like yes if you're focused on like the numbers right i think there's a danger in that uh the danger mainly being that you can't directly correlate number of things to like a actual value and so many but, people are and they have apps that will tell them when people unfollow them like and ah oh, like why would you do that to yourself it's just ugh, i don't like it yeah but i i do i i can't get on board with the idea that this is somehow not real though right like you also get a dopamine hit from high-fiving your friend and from like getting a hug and from seeing your neighbor in yeah. the morning and saying hello right those are all things that and they're are, all like, real things. the exact equivalencies of like getting up in the morning and seeing the first tweet in my feed from linda last night and gosh isn't that fun to see she said this thing like it's it's a different medium it is not a different thing uh and the medium has its own unique traits but that's a legitimate interaction. It's a different interaction, yeah. but it's not delegitimized by the fact that it happens on a phone. And That's I agree true. that it's like a little I agree that hug. we have a lot of learning to do about like how exactly this is going to affect people's lives. Uh, and I certainly wouldn't want to be the person that you know. I spend a lot of time on my phone, certainly, but I wouldn't want to be the person that is like my, my my line is that I have all notifications and sounds and vibrations turned off from my phone yes, at all times. Yes, I was going to bring that uh, up because when I turned mine off, you were one of the first people to respond, and you said that you did it like a year or two ago or something and that you've it's been just, a while like, now. never looked back. And I haven't changed it ever since. And I am like, oh my God, I'm so preachy about it to everybody. I'm like, you've got to do this. It is such a like life improver to just turn all of the little red dots off. Because whatever the opposite of dopamine is, like that's what the little red dots are for me. It's just <laughs> like, it's just anxiety. Sure. And, and and to be fair, the reason that that works so well for me, just turning off all everything, is that I'm already looking at my phone enough through the day that I don't need to get a notification by a text message because I will definitely see it in the next 20 to 30 minutes, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, which some people would probably, Simon would probably say is disgusting and, and you know, addictive. But um, but that that's the line for me. I found that I'll go to my phone when I want. I'm not going to let my little rectangle, you know, demand attention from me and tell me when I get to look right. at it. So there's a line for everybody, right? And I've certainly had moments in my life where I felt like I was too tethered to something. Um, and, you know, I've tried to navigate that. But never have I been like, this is evil. This is not real. This doesn't count. I've always just been like, what does this mean in my life? And how can I maximize for that meaning? Um, because I've gotten enormous value personally and emotionally from relationships and things I've experienced in the digital world. And contrary to what you said, I actually have very, you know, precise memories of certain emails I've gotten or, you know, certain times that I've logged on and seen something for the first time. Uh, you know, like I, I remember where I was when like Steve Jobs died, but I remember like seeing it on my phone. I remember like what the tweet looked like that I saw when I saw when that really? happened. Um, Maybe oh, my brain and, is like, broken. I, I, same thing goes, and this is kind of grim, but the same thing goes for like, you know, tragedies and stuff, right? Like I remember the night that the uh, earthquake and subsequent tsunami hit Japan, uh, you know, whatever, like seven years ago or something, uh, which was shortly after I joined Twitter. I remember being amazed at how amazing a news resource this thing was. It was one of the first times I like experienced a national event through Twitter. And I remember so vividly like the feeling of going through the timeline and of like trying to follow threads and that kind of stuff. So I do feel like I'm forming like memories and stuff that are very integral with the technology that I'm experiencing them through. Wow. 
It, to, to me, it's just like, you know, I, I, our parents' generation might have watched the moon landing on a black and white TV or might have heard, you know, oh, the, yeah. uh, you know, the fa- famous, uh, you know, radio announcements over, over the course of history. Like, it, it's, not, it's not that you're going to remember everything, right? Right. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, I've also spent really fun nights out in the woods, you know, gallivanting around with friends. But, like, do I remember it? Like, I remember it, sure. Uh, does it, like, paint a picture very vividly of certain moments? Sometimes. But I don't feel like my memory is any different depending on the context that something happened in. It's just, was it important to me? And yeah. if it was, then I remember it. And if it wasn't, then I probably don't. And sometimes important stuff happens on a phone, right? I remember specific road trips where I was texting one person for, you know, hours and hours on end because we were just really deep in some important conversation and, you know, talking about something. Yeah. Um, so, so I yeah, know. I mean, I, so I have get, those memories. Don't get me wrong. I do think that, uh, like, obviously I work at a digital design agency and, like, my job is making digital pictures on the internet. Like, I <laughs> I, I very much like... Please make that your new bio. <laughs> my <laughs> job is making digital pictures on the internet. <laughs> So like yeah I, I I do love um I do love technology and I, I do love uh that world so much but I think that you just have to like learn how to be really careful with it because uh the the real life that is happening around you outside of these rectangles is ultimately what I'm striving for and what's more important and uh, so I think it's just giving precedence to the living and breathing things that are around me when they are around me. And then like saving the little rectangles for a little rectangle time. <laughs> like, sure. Uh, when I'm at home alone, uh, sure, I'll sit there on Twitter and like laughing my ass off by myself sometimes because like I follow some really hilarious people and and like there's a time and a place for that and um and for you know texting people nonstop like just today like my best friend who moved to New York I felt like I realized I haven't seen her in months but I don't feel like it at all because we'll just text each other like nonstop and she's like airing all of her grievances about different things to me and like you're able to to still be there for friends who are physically so far away and um so yeah, I, I think that there's like a lot of importance in technology and it really has enhanced uh, my relationships and it's made it possible to like stay connected on FaceTime. Like when my sister's husband was serving in Afghanistan, like she was still able to like see him on Christmas day and stuff like that. So like, yes, there's huge importance to it, but I think it's just like people when you're living and breathing humans are around you, like put your phone down (laughs) i just i hate like the mindless scrolling when you're just like sure not even realizing that you're doing it or why but like for some reason you just have this like knee-jerk reaction to just pick it up and and just start scrolling through it and like to stop making eye contact with people and like my dad does it because he plays like scrabble a bunch on his phone sure and but yeah, it, it, I, I agree with that. For me, the distinction is not the medium; it's it's the purpose, right? Yeah. Um, it, a good example is some people watch TV by just turning on the TV, and whatever is on, they're gonna watch, and it's very easy just to kind of like get into that rut, that little habit of I'm gonna watch something, and it's gonna kind of take my attention away, and that'd be great. Um, some people watch TV by like seeking out television shows that they really like and watching them intensely and paying attention and then getting on the internet and talking to other fans about it and, you know, <laughs> sharing in the experience of a new TV show coming out, which is another thing I resented about Simon's little rant was that he said that, oh, some people wait to binge watch an entire thing because they want immediate gratification. Yeah. Dude, that person's waiting the entire season to watch it. They don't want immediate gratification. They care about this thing so much. They think it's important enough to experience all at once. And that's yep. a level of like purpose and intent that is, you know, present across different mediums. Uh, and so there's like, yeah. I think there's different ways to use all kinds of different things. And, you know, the same thing can be said for people going to parties, right? Like I knew people in high school and college that went to all the parties and never meaningfully engaged with anybody at any of them because they were just there, you know, kind of going through the routine. Um, I think you can do anything on autopilot and you can do anything with purpose and with intent and that, to me, is the distinguishing factor, not the medium. Um, and whether or not it's slightly easier to go on autopilot on a device than it is in real life, it's probably true. There's probably some, you know, some weight to that. But yeah, uh, no, and that's, I, that's where like, the line is drawn for me, kind of. 
I totally agree with you. And I've uh, had this rule for myself for the past like six or seven years or something. And that like leisure time should always be intentional. And uh, so that's not saying that like you should never sit down and relax and watch TV. But it's that if you do, you should like beforehand say, I, Linda, am about to spend the next three hours binge watching House Hunters International or like whatever. And you light a candle and you get some ice cream and, <laughs> and a you box really of do tissues. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think that it's um, it's important to like give ourselves downtime or else we would just like drive ourselves mad. But it's just being intentional and being purposeful about it. Um, and then you enjoy it like so much more. Like it feels like a little like gift that you're giving yourself. Um, and it's the same, it's the same thing with your phone and your iPad and whatever. It's like, all right, this is the time that I'm spending to do this thing, uh, because I want to, and not because I'm like accidentally going to fall into it and be like, whoa, what happened to the last four hours? Didn't mean to watch the Kardashians. Sure. Yeah. I think it's interesting to talk about millennials period, because I feel like it's one of the more poorly defined generations. You know, I mean, obviously every yeah, generation kind of is like arbitrary, arbitrary grouping of people based on whatever. Some generations are much more concrete, right? Like you think about the baby boomers where it was, you know, there really was a spike in population when this group of people came back from the war and they were all raised under a very specific context and a certain political climate and yeah there's an immense variation infinite variation but there was still this like constant thread uh and then from there i feel like every generation is like well our defining feature is that we were raised by the baby boomers and our defining <laughs> generation and it's like well we don't really have the same defining thing if there's anything for our generation i think it is going to be the coming of age and coming of adulthood with access to social media um and the internet which i, I really do think is has a huge effect on people um I think it's almost entirely positive, uh, which is which is kind of contrary to what Simon thinks. But, you know, I always think about what it must be like to be in a small town in the Midwest uh, and you're one of the only gay people in that town and you're growing up as a kid and how difficult that must have been, how near impossible that must have been 30 years ago. Oh, and now yeah. and now you can have the Internet and you can know that a world exists outside of your little bubble and you can see people that are like you. And you can share people that have the same interests and the same values and the same priorities. And you can connect with a community of people uh, in a way that you never could before and how much better things must be. Certainly not all good, uh, but how much yeah. better they must be for people like that than they would have been before the internet. Um, and, you know, we all have our own to different to varying degrees. We all have our own things about us that we feel are different and we go to these, you know, more far flung communities to kind of seek out, uh, seek friendship and, uh, you know, camaraderie. Yeah. So I, I, if, if anything, if, if that's going to be like where we draw the line, like you are a baby boomer, if you during puberty had access to the internet and that was like a new thing and you were better at your computer than your parents were, yeah. like maybe that's what a millennial is. Um, yeah. I can see some, I can see some meaning to that. Thank you to XYZ Type for sponsoring our transcripts. You can find them online at xyztype.com. Thank you to Linda for talking. You can find her on Twitter at Little Nono. And most of all, thank you for listening. Until next time. <laughs>